0: In today's episode, we chat again with Dr. Karina Sidarsky gleiser of the Counseling Center about how isolation and self-criticism can have an impact on your mental health and provide some ways to help silence the dinosaur with your self-care routine. Welcome back to our next episode of Ways to Flourish podcast. Again, joining us is Dr. Karina Sidarski gleiser from the Counseling Center. How are you doing? How, how is your staff in, in the Counseling Center?
1: We are doing well. We are managing and doing our video teletherapy that we learned how to do back in March. and We
0: are busy. Yes now is the teletherapy piece of your puzzle that's been now added onto your list of services? is that something that you think will stay on board of the counseling center as a staple or is that something that you'll let go as we move out of COVID times?
1: Our hope is that we could give it away, give mm-hmm. it back to the world. There are many advantages of the telehealth. It's say someone lives in a rural area, don't have access to being able to walk in into seeing a therapist, there are many advantages. But even though the research shows that it is uh, as beneficial, it's not the same. It's not the same. And it's, we have heard from students that it doesn't feel the same, and we as therapists feel that it's not the same. But it has been really, I mean, an excellent resource at this time. We at first were... Concern about are we going to be able to really connect at an emotional level with students, and we have seen that we have been able to do that. Even groups, we are doing group therapy, and at first was how are we going to be able to manage having seven people on the screen, and we have been able to do that. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think that in general across the board, it's always easier to facilitate that in-person connection or, or does that impact our community at a higher level because that higher touch model?
1: It can be that. I, th- I think it, we are a very person-centered, right? student-centered campus, so that could be part of the equation. And as therapists, I think that is part of our bias, right? That we feel that connection with others is... And research says the connection, the relationship, the therapeutic relationship is what impacts most. The outcome of therapy obviously is a big piece there.
0: What are some of the emotions that students are experiencing right now that might be different from times pre-COVID?
1: What students talk about is that sense of isolation loneliness finding it more difficult to spontaneously connect because they are connecting and they are finding ways to connect but that thing about hey just let me go to your room hey let's go to lunch everything feels that it needs to be much more planned right where can we go and sit and eat outdoors versus if it's raining that's not an option so loneliness isolation anxiety depression is also there and I think there is a sense of when is this going to end right when it started it could have felt okay we are going to be having to deal with this maybe for a few weeks for a month for two months but now it has been what eight nine months so that it is feeling like okay enough is enough
0: just to go back to the isolation piece for mm-hmm. a second, how does that impact our development or our social well-being and really overall the experience of the student? How can we navigate through that in a healthy way?
1: I think at this point, it is self-care is extremely important. I want to say always has been important, but now more than ever because the environment and the needs are pushing people to, you can be studying all day in your space, in your room, but how unhealthy that would be. Or you can be, yes, completely alone for days at a time and how the social needs are not being met. Same with exercise, right? That. For many people who had a routine, I used to jump and go to the health center at whatever time. Now it needs to be scheduled. People need to be much more thoughtful in terms of how am I going to engage in self-care. And I think one way that, or I hear that for some students it has been helpful, is to not think about, okay, I need to exercise for an hour, but what can I do for 10 minutes at a time? What if I can chat with someone, just a Zoom call, or even sit for 10 minutes outside? So it doesn't need to be four hours at a time, but several dosages of self-care.
0: Being very intentional about incorporating that into your schedule and throughout your day. Mm -hmm. We'll turn the page a little bit here. I know you've got some metaphors that you like to use in your practices Mm -hmm. here.
1: Yeah, and I I want to connect them with what we are talking about because I was talking about the importance of self-care. Most of our students are so caring and so concerned about others. Um, Some students are socialized to assume a caring role. And some other students are based on maybe positions that they have in student organizations or on campus, have a, a role of providing care for others. For instance, you know, RAs, wellness ambassadors, presidents of certain organizations so it is very important that we consider what our bodies need because we cannot give water if we don't have water in a picture and for me one metaphor maybe others have heard that but when i travel and when my kids were little and on the plane they would say if the oxygen mask comes because of a change in pressure Make sure that you put your oxygen mask first and then put it on your child. And the idea there is not that they are saying be selfish. What they are saying is if you cannot breathe, you cannot help your child. So you need to be able to breathe. And again, if all of those students who are helping others and all of the staff and faculty also, how important is that we put our oxygen mask in order to support all the people we want to support? If you are exhausted, and it happened to me, Earlier this week, I was exhausted. I just fell asleep at 6 in the evening. You know, it, it was like I, I was not functioning. I, and I took a one-hour nap, but it was the importance of sleep. Oxygen could be sleep, oxygen could be exercise, or oxygen could be metaphorically anything that people need.
0: In the beginning, before becoming very committed to practicing self-care, there would be this sense sometimes of guilt, whether implied by myself or others for taking that time. Let's talk about self-criticism a little bit and and how to avoid that critical voice when it's coming from the self.
1: That is a huge one and it's a big, big issue. I want to say, especially at William & Mary, I have seen it a lot at William & Mary because our students are very committed to do the best work that they can do. And when it feels like it's a little less than that, then there is a lot of self-criticism. And as you were saying, also for people who engage in self-care, they may feel, oh, I'm being selfish. And again, it's not selfishness. You need oxygen. Otherwise, you cannot help. So it is, very important to know the different type of influences in our lives that maybe trigger self-criticism. I grew up in a family where you could always do better. You know, if you got an A, why not an A plus? That was the next question. So that triggered for me like constant self-criticism and self-doubt. I remember that at one point I had this toy that was a plastic dinosaur with a big open mouth. That was actually when I was in grad school and was criticizing myself for any of my interventions as a therapist in training. So that was distracting me. If I'm judging what question I'm asking, then I'm not as present for the student who's in front of me. So I decided to put this dinosaur in front of me, and I taped them out to make it, you know, if this is the symbol of criticism, well, you need to be quiet. And constantly seeing that was very helpful for me. It was a reminder to be more compassionate and not engage in the self-criticism as much. But one additional experience that was incredible for me was my son, he's a pianist now, but as perhaps a seven-year-old, he started when he was three or four, believe it or not. He was to play two pieces of piano in front of two different judges. So he did, and he completely messed up in one of the pieces that he played, and the other he did really well. The judges where to write evaluations for the two pieces he played. And in the one that he made a lot of mistakes, both judges really included the mistakes he made, how he could have practiced more, played the wrong note here and there. But only one of the judges wrote about the piece that he played so well. The other judge only wrote about the one that he made mistakes, because I don't think a seven-year-old playing piano plays poorly, because I cannot even do that. And for me, I always wonder, had he only had the one judge who wrote about the mistakes and not the other piece, perhaps he would have said, forget about piano, I cannot do anything well, right? But receiving the positive feedback about how well he played the second piece, how they were able to tell how much he enjoyed playing that piece, they could tell how much he practiced that piece was very motivating for him. And so I think we all need to integrate into our brains that type of judge. The one that can notice, yes, I could have done better with this. Yes, I could practice more. Yes, I could study more. But look how well I'm doing in this other piece and really recognize. For me, that brings the idea of a good coach, right? If you are an athlete and you have a coach that only points out what you are doing wrong, you may say, I'm not good at this sport, why bother even trying? But if you have a good coach that tells you all that you are doing well and how you can improve even more, that's the type of coach that you really will grow from and become better and better, and you will enjoy the sport that you are in. For me, that an internalized, fair judge is what we need to develop. Many times the students ask me, but if I don't try harder, you know, then I'm going to just be basically a loser. So I'm not saying just ignore the mistakes or just not try hard. But it is recognizing both mistakes and all the things that we are doing well. Because on any given day, we are doing some things well.
0: And what about those people who maybe haven't found their coach yet?
1: It is the ability to recognize I am using only that judge that only saw the piece that he played. It's as if this judge didn't hear that he played two pieces. So maybe I'm doing the same, then being able to maybe journal, right, put two columns. What am I doing well and what can I do better? But again, you need to be able to recognize both. And at times it could be something that it feels little. If I feel like not getting up of bed, you know, it's like, okay, I, I did and I got dressed. I was so tired, but I did, got dressed and made it to work, made it to class. Because you could have just stayed in bed. So sometimes it's little things that we need to recognize. I was not feeling like going to exercise, but look, I took a walk.
0: Celebrate the little stuff.
1: Yeah. And again, that's recognizing those small steps. There is another metaphor that I like that I use in therapy a lot because many times students will come and express, and this is an interesting word, right, negative emotions. And it's interesting that we call some emotions some negative and some are the positive emotions because they are all emotions and we are all human and we are to experience all emotions. But again, come and say, what's the purpose of experiencing or crying? Or that doesn't resolve anything. And my answer many times has to be, yes, if some, we lost somebody that we love, crying doesn't bring the person back. You are right. But crying is cathartic, or talking about it. With other things, is as if you are cleaning a wound. This family member had an infection on a finger, and he was putting Neosporin for days. And the finger was becoming more and more red and more and more sore. After several days of me saying, maybe it's good time to go to the doctor. Oh, there is no need. Okay, let's try one more day with Neosporin and Band-Aids. <laughs> and it didn't work. And they had to go to an urgent care. And the doctor said, we need to give you a little bit of numbing medicine and then open it up because there is bacteria underneath and the bacteria needs to come out. And that is a lot of what we do in therapy and a lot of what can help is the idea of cleansing a wound that is infected. The bacteria comes out and then you put the band-aid with some neosporin and then it can heal. But if the bacteria stays in, no matter how much neosporin you put and how many band-aids, you are just trying to cover it and not see what is there. At times, and not always, it is going to a therapist is for people who are weak. And again, it is much more courageous to address what that bacteria is than to pretend that it's not there. And oftentimes when we pretend or try to not see it with gauze and band-aids, it continues to become more and more infected and it gets manifested in different ways. So it is much more courageous to say again, in this case on our vacation, okay, no fun to have an injection on that finger that it's hurting and to open it. But actually then, you know, once it is open and the bacteria is out, then the pain is much, much less. The bacteria is what is making it much more painful much more courageous to put your finger out there to say, open it up.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Connect with the William & Mary Counseling Center on the William & Mary Wellness app.